Good morning, everybody. If we could come in and sit down, fill the chairs. <laughs> so, obviously, Pastor John, ooh, I'm echoing a little bit, is not here today. So I have been given the privilege of getting things started here. And um, Pastor John has been reading through uh, Psalms, and I'm going to break from tradition and read from James. James 4, verse 4. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Why is he jealous? Because he he wants all of us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Okay, so why do we have praise and worship at the beginning of our services? Is it because we love being entertained by our amazing worship team? Well, of course that's part of it. We love them and we enjoy it. But obviously it's because we need to praise and worship God. We need to thank Him for everything that He's done for us. His awesomeness, His His goodness. I mean, yesterday was an amazing day to enjoy the incredible creation that He's given us. It was a beautiful day. And He... I believe that praise and worship is for our benefit. Because through praise and worship, through thanking Him, we we lift Him up, we magnify Him, we... we magnify His Word, His goodness, His power, His strength, right? And we, we minimize all the crud that we're dealing with, all of our problems, all the silly stuff, right? So praising God is what's best for us. He does it for our own benefit. But I'd also like to propose that there's another reason. If we look at this again, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. <clears throat> As we're worshiping Him, we're thinking about Him, we're getting ourselves ready to hear from Him, to receive from Him. He wants to speak to us. One of the reasons that we're here today is because we want to hear from God. Right? We want Him to minister to us. We want to be, we want to be changed. And we have the pleasure of having a world-renowned guest speaker here today. So... God wants to speak to us through Him, all right? And speak to us through worship, through, through every part of the service, all right? So let's take the time to draw near to Him so He can draw near to us and we can hear Him. God, we thank you that you do hold the power to redeem. That redemption is completed. That we are set free. 
It's just one more reason we have to praise you, to worship you, and to thank you. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your goodness. You are so worthy to be praised. So obviously, like I like I had said before, Pastor John and his family, and apparently half the church, <laughs> are on vacation. I don't know. Apparently, I don't know. I don't know. Somebody needs to hold down the floor, right? So, so I will get right to the offering message. Okay. So I want to start with Deuteronomy 8.18. And I'm going to read from the Amplified. But you shall remember with profound respect the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore he solemnly promised to your fathers, as it is this day. Okay, just to be clear, who gives us the power? God, of course. The power to do what? To make wealth. One of the reasons I I really like the Amplified Version is because the other versions talk about getting wealth, that you may get wealth, which uh, to me is too passive, okay? Um, If you look at the Hebrew word for make, it's asah. A-S-A-H, which means to do, to work, to make, or to produce, okay? So he gives us the power to do something to bring wealth into our lives. Another great um, verse that talks about the, the same thing is from Isaiah 48. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord, your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you by the way you should go. So he gives us a a power. He gives us ability. He gives us wisdom. He gives us understanding how to bring, how to make, how to produce wealth in our lives. So, then my next question, why? It's in the verse. Why? Why does he give us the power to make wealth? to establish, to confirm or establish his covenant, right? Now, covenant. The Hebrew word for covenant is, I think it's bereth, B-E-R-E-T-H. And it means covenant, alliance, agreement, or pledge, okay? It's, It's an agreement between God and us. Unfortunately, he initiated it, right? It's an agreement between two parties. So what, what is that pledge? What is the pledge that he's given us? What is the agreement that he's given us? It's summarized in numerous verses. One of the first is with Abram, where he tells him, get out of your country to a land that I will show you, and I will bless you. All these blessings will come on you and overtake you if... You hearken diligently to my voice. If you are willing and obedient, then you shall eat the good of the land. You see, there's kind of a trend here. There's two parts to this. 
they that seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be given to you. Okay? There's always two parts to this. So what is, he, what is he trying to tell us? What he's trying to tell us is, if we focus on him, if we seek him first, if we seek his word, his will, if we obey his word and his will, he's going to take care of everything. He's going to take care of all the stuff. In Matthew 6, he talks about, don't worry. Don't worry about your stuff. Don't worry about your food. Don't worry about your clothes. If you seek me and obey my word, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to take care of it. And what is he trying to get us to do? Also in in Matthew 6, he talks about you cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon is riches, money. You cannot pursue both God and money and riches at the same time. He wants us, he, he, he doesn't want us to be inwardly focused, so concerned about taking care of our stuff. We're concerned about our needs. We're concerned about our stuff, our wants. He wants us to be able to not think about that stuff so we can think about what he wants us to do to help others, right? To minister to others, to be an influence to others. Okay, I got a little off track there. Okay, so in 2016... What is our part of establishing the covenant as River Valley Christian Church? So we've all heard Pastor John communicate the vision, right? We're supposed to have a positive impact on the St. Croix River Valley area, right? We're supposed to change lives. We're supposed to get people into the kingdom. We're supposed to basically do what Jesus did. He went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, right? Right? That is what we're called to do. Now, Pastor John has been talking a lot about healing over the last several weeks, and it's been awesome. Right? It's been, it's been awesome to, to have him teach us that healing is done. It's established. It's a fact. It's a law. All we need to do is receive it. Right? And as he's been, as he's been, talking about that, and I, as I've been thinking about it and meditating on healing, God has been reminding me about um, John G. Lake. I think, I'm assuming a lot of you know who John G. Lake is, and the amazing influence that he had on Spokane, Washington. Um, so he was, he was around during the late 1800s and the, in the early 1900s, and it was, it was actually written in the paper that Spokane, Washington was the healthiest town in the country. They had 100,000 documented healings, over 100,000 documented healings. So who knows how many total healings they had. And one of the things I just, just recently read was that Spokane was so healthy, the people were, were so healthy, they closed the hospital. They close the hospital because there's no, no sick people. There are no patients. Why can't St. Croix River Valley be the healthiest, wealthiest area in the country? Why not? Why can't Lakeview Hospital be closed? Because we're sweeping through the area and healing people. Why? Well, okay, then, then that begs the question. 
Why? Why isn't it? Right? Why isn't it happening? I can, I can guarantee you, and I think you all agree, it's not because God is holding out on us. Right? He's waiting on us to step out in faith and lay hands on the sick, see them recover, cast out demons, and raise the dead. He's waiting on us. So why aren't we doing it? Well, Scripture says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Right? You don't see ourselves doing it. Unfortunately, that's really what it comes down to, is we don't see ourselves doing it. We don't see ourselves. When we, when we think about laying hands on somebody, we think, well, what if I lay hands on them and it doesn't work? They don't get healed. Exactly. We're, unfortunately, what we're doing is we're stuck magnifying the sickness, magnifying the problem, magnifying the circumstance, magnifying the enemy's lies, and minimizing God and his power and his word. We need to reverse that. We need to magnify God and his word and his power and his ability He has given us everything we need to live in total and complete victory. Everything we need. And we need to minimize the circumstances. We need to minimize that cancer. We need to minimize that circumstance. We need to minimize those lies. We need to build up our faith in God and His Word and minimize our faith in the enemy and his lies. Right? So, we need to build our faith. How does, how does faith come? By hearing and hearing the Word of God. Right? We're going to start doing these things when we get so full of the Word, it just bursts out of us. We're so positive about God and His ability to do things through us, we're just going to rush off and do it. So, I'm getting finally to my point. We need to hear the word. Okay? That is why we need to build these classrooms. That is why we need to build the classrooms so that we can get in front of the word more and we can bring others to hear the word more. That's why we need to build, to complete this project, to build these classrooms. Again, 300,000 to God is nothing. It might look big to us because we're magnifying the challenge instead of magnifying God. It's, it's, it's nothing to God. Okay? So, here now part of our establishing the covenant. Okay? Is obeying God and what he has called us to do. The contribution that we're supposed to have to this. That is our here and now, rubber meets the road part of establishing the covenant. Right? And as I, as I had mentioned last time, uh, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, <clears throat> we need to seek God for what He wants us to give, what our individual part is to this project. Okay? We need to seek Him. And I believe that if we truly seek Him, it's going to be a big number. It's going to be bigger than we are comfortable with, that we think we can do on our own. But He wants to raise us up. He wants to lift us up. He wants to increase us. And if, say he's, say, he's told you to give $10,000, you have no idea how you can even give $100, 
right? Maybe. But he's faithful. He's going to take us step by step. Obey what he's telling you to do today. Then tomorrow, obey what he's going to tell you to do tomorrow. And the next day, obey what he tells you to do then. And he's going to take you step by step by step by step. And before you know it, the $10,000 is going to be paid. And you're going to have loved every minute of it. Because you're obeying him, you're seeking him, you're walking with him through the whole process. And it's at, at the end of it, you're going to look at it and think it was easy. Okay? So... My parting question for you. <clears throat> Are you doing your part? Are you obeying what God has told you to do? Only you know. Okay? Because when you do, He will give you the power to make wealth in your life. Amen? Amen. Father God, we thank you so much. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the amazing plan that you have for us. That your plan is for each and every one of one of us growth, increase, influence. Father God, you want to be able to use us to perform your will on the earth. So, Father God, we just magnify you. We magnify you and your goodness. We give these tithes and these offerings by faith, worshiping you, honoring you with them. And we know you are faithful. And you will multiply it back to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we get a special treat today. Again, I had, I had mentioned we have a world-renowned guest speaker with us today, Chris Swanson. All right. What's up? Do we have the slides back there? Great. The end is near. <clears throat> Earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars, blood moons. And as this verse says, 2 Timothy 3.1, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. John obviously had trouble, difficulty finding a good speaker for today, so he picked me. <laughs> Second time in a year, Come on, doubters, end of, end of times, end of times. <laughs> the title of my message today is Fix Your Chain. Fix Your Chain. It could have been Yank Your Chain, but you already have somebody yanking your chain, don't you? No, Brian, not Cerise. I could have, and not Ball and Chain either. You already have somebody yanking your chain, and that's the devil. He's yanking your chain. He's pushing your buttons. I was at a conference. I go to a lot of conferences. Well, I go to several conferences a year for my uh, financial advising practice, and I've been to a few, and, and a couple that I went to recently confirmed 
the message for today about this chain issue. First of all, I also have to say that it's great to have my family here, but you know what Katie said to me right before I got up here? Don't mess this up. (laughs) Thank you. Anyway, so I'm at this conference recently, and there's a uh, sports psychologist there. He's, uh, he helps out, especially golfers, because golf is such a mind game that they come to him for help when they're struggling in their game. But he came out to the conference, and he had this chain on his wrist. It was just a chain about this big, you know, or in a circle. He's got it on his wrist, and he's going like this with this metal chain. And then he takes the chain, and he yanks on it, and it breaks. And he asks, why did it break? And, you know, there's, he said there's basically two reasons. There was one weak link that he had in there. It was kind of twisted, and that was, that was weak. But it was the force or the pressure that was applied to that chain that broke it. And so in the same way, we have pressure on our lives constantly. And it's an issue of do we have weak links in our life? So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about change. Change is uncomfortable, isn't it? It's, uh, we don't necessarily like it. In fact, I have an experiment for you. You have to do this with me. Put your, fold your arms, because I know you're already kind of folding your arms anyway because you're going, ah, oh, change. I don't want to talk about change. So first of all, look down. Keep your arms folded. Look down to your, your arms. and Which arm is on top, left or right? You know, if, if it's the left arm, they, they say that you're really intelligent. <laughs> if it's your right arm, it's a different reason, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. <laughs> actually, actually, there's no study about that. Anyway, when I count to three, I want you to switch which arm is on top. Okay, not yet, but just, okay, so as soon as I count to three, put the other arm on top. Ready? One. Two, three, change it. Isn't that uncomfortable? I'm sure some of you are great at it, whatever. But it's, it's typically uncomfortable. In fact, the studies are that that's probably the first time you've ever done that in your whole life. If you haven't seen somebody like me ask you to do it. But anyway, it's kind of, it's just, it's uncomfortable because you're not used to it, right? So change is always uncomfortable, or it often is. I think about the change in my family the last few years. You know, it's all, for the most part, good change, but it's still change, and it's uncomfortable. My oldest daughter, Melissa, she's, you know, she's moved. She, she, got, she graduated from high school. She got married. She moved out. She moved back in. She's going to move out again. She's going to have a baby. I'm going to be a grandpa, which I know is unbelievable. It's not, it can't be, right? But it's, it's change. It's very good change, but it's still change. My middle daughter, Nicole, is off to college. There's no way this little kid is off to college. So change is good, but it's uncomfortable. And, of course, Katie now, the the three-pounder that was born so small, is now in high school and playing tennis. (laughs) But it's kind of uncomfortable because Libby and I look at it like, it's not going to be long and we're going to be that dreaded empty nester person couple, which is, you know, again, it's got benefits, but it's, it's change, right? It's uncomfortable. So let's talk about change in this time this morning, but also um, about how to fix, 
fix the broken chains or the broken links maybe in your chain. But I want to set the foundation first, and we're going to read from the Word because the Word has answers, right? But before we, speaking of reading, I heard another statistic at my, one of these conferences, and I get lots of good tidbits, that I think about how it applies to us as Christians. There was a speaker that got up and he said, did you know that we read more as a society than we ever have in the history of man? We read more. And your first response, no way. Kids don't read books. Kids don't read. We don't read, but we do. We read Facebook. We read screens. We read constantly all day. Take a guess how many words we read a day on average. Just throw out a number. A million? That's a lot. 5,000? The number they gave us, I didn't fact check it, 100,050 a day, average. 100,050. So I'm sitting in this conference thinking, okay, that seems like a lot. I wonder how many words are in the Bible. Got to be a billion. The thing's huge, right? Guess how many words in the Bible, roughly. Because it depends on the translation, but throw out another number. Okay, I'll tell you, 800,000, okay? Every eight days you could be reading the Bible. Every eight days, cover to cover. Aren't we pathetic? Think about the, I know it's harder reading in certain areas and studying, it's different than just reading it, but still, all the reading we do about, you know, just the, the trivia, the Sports stuff, the Facebook threads, the OMGs, LOLs, all that stuff. If we would just read the Bible more, we could. We, we could read it constantly and, and be a lot better off. I know it's not always practical, but it's important. So anyway, so let's start reading the Word. John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So the word was and the word is. Who is the word? Right, Jesus is the word. Genesis 1 Verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. To me that is so awesome, so cool. The reference in the New Testament, back to the Old Testament, God says, let there be light. When God spoke, what was that? The Word, right? That was Jesus, the Word. <clears throat> and then we read in Hebrews 11, verse 3, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. That word there is that same, that's the Greek word rhema or spoken word, the spoken Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And it says we can't understand the universe without faith. You have to believe it. You, have, you can't just, you can't read about evolution, you can't read about the Big Bang. Maybe there was a Big Bang, but that Big Bang was let there be light. But it's by faith that you know that. You know it. And so when you hear people say something different, it's, it's like, that doesn't make any sense, because it makes sense to you by faith that God created 
the heavens and the earth. Hebrews 1.3, not only did he create the heavens and the earth, it's upheld by him. It says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word. Again, word is rhema, the spoken word of his power. And that power word is that dunamis dynamite power word of in the Greek. So he not only created everything, he also upholds it. So again, Jesus upholds it all by the word, right? So not only did he create everything and upholds everything, but in John 1, 14, it says, And that word, the word, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So why did he come in the flesh? Why did he, why did he have to appear? He created everything, he upholds everything, and then he came to us in the flesh, right? So if we review the, the basics of the Bible, right, the big story, God creates man and woman, creates creation, Satan comes and tempts Eve. Adam and Eve, both they, they sin, curse comes. But right, right away, God has a plan, right? So most of that 800,000 words of the Bible are the plan to bring Jesus, right? To bring Jesus to the earth to, to redeem man. So it all revolves around that, right? So why did he appear? appear? 1 John 3. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And it goes on to say, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning on and on. But basically, the two things you see in there are that he came to take away sin and to destroy the works of the devil, right? So what are the works of the devil? So I, st I started a list. The list is longer than that, but it's not a good list, right? The works of the devil, sin, death, Darkness, deception, fear, theft, sickness, lack, loneliness, confusion, blah, 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 right? Lots of bad things. John 10.10, 10, it can kind of be summed up in, in those, that verse that says the devil comes only to kill, steal, and destroy, right? You can kind of cover the whole list with kill, steal, and destroy. So a quick little video here. Maybe you've seen it. It is the holiday season. Who the heck are you? What are you talking about? I'm Santa Claus. No, you're not. Uh, why, of course I am. <laughs> you're Santa. What song did I sing for you on your birthday this year? Uh, a happy birthday, of course. <laughs> uh, so, uh, how old are you, son? Oh, You're a big boy. What's your name? Oh. And uh, what can I oh. get you for Christmas? Don't tell him what you want. He's a liar. Let the kid talk. You disgust me. How can you live with yourself? Just cool it, Zippy. 
You sit on a throne of lies. Look, I'm not kidding. You're a fake. I'm a fake? Yes. How'd you like to be dead? Huh? He's <laughs> kidding. You stink. I think you're going to have a good Christmas, all right? I like beef and cheese. You don't smell like Santa. Okay. Oh. Ah! He's a I showed more than I needed to, I guess, but but the throne of lies issue, the, the issue of that list that I showed of the devil's works can all be summed up in one thing, right? Lies. It's all about the lies. That's what creates that list. So why did Jesus come? Destroy the works of the devil, right? That list on the left of all the junk, which I know there's typos in there, the P's in there, but anyway, the um, that list... Did, are they gone? Are those things eliminated right now? Do you have any of those things happening to you? Probably do, right? But it says Jesus destroyed the works of the devil. How come they're still with us, some of those works? The lie still exists, doesn't it? But I have on the right there some of the answers, right? Some of those answers we have to remember, that we have to focus our attention on, and those are the things that Jesus did by appearing, by coming by dying for us, by the death, burial, and resurrection of of Jesus, right? And it's about His Word. So, just real quick, I'll run through. I didn't. I don't have the verses up there, but just just to remind you, you know, the issue of sin. What did what happened to resolve that? Romans five ten. For it is while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life? The issue of death that comes from Satan. We have life, right? That same verse that says a thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And he also said that I am the resurrection and the life in John 11. Darkness versus light. John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Fear versus peer, peace. Second Timothy one seven. For God gave us a spirit of not God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self control. John fourteen. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. And then you get into the issue of sickness. What does Jesus have to say about sickness? First Peter two twenty four. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. And there's many more about healing, obviously. But the truth versus the lie, right? If he destroyed the works of the devil, he destroyed the lie. It must be available. Otherwise, Jesus is a liar, which we know is not true. So why isn't it happening? We must have weak links in our chain. 
um, far as lack versus provision, John 6 says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall no longer, not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And you could say, well, that's just spiritual hunger, spiritual thirst. It probably is. But remember the verses before that, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd had, was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? What did he do? He fed them all. And then they had more than they needed. So it's not just spiritual. John 14, Jesus talks about being the way, the truth, and the life. It's all kind of summed up there as well. If you have questions about your direction in life, about what is the truth, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And finally, things like just general certainty. What, how do you, you know, just having comfort about what's the meaning of life? Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Who is, and said the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So anyway, so the devil's still still after us, right? He's still telling lies. First Peter 5. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour, to devour. So we still battle, right? The devil's constantly looking to devour us, constantly looking to apply pressure to our chain. Ephesians 6, where is this battle? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So we're battling in the spirit. So back to the chain. I've got a video up, but I'm going to set it up. Okay, I'm a golfer. You don't have to be a golfer to follow me on this. But back to the sports psychologist that came to this conference, he used this illustration, and I thought it was pretty good. It could apply to us in our spiritual walk. So whether or not you're a golfer or not, this is a video about a guy named Dustin Johnson. He's a uh, very good golfer. He's won a lot of tournaments. But back in uh, 2015, he was playing for one of the major golf tournaments, the U.S. Open, out west in a, at a course called Chambers Bay. And he was, at his, he was at the final hole, and he had this putt coming up here. And if he makes the putt, he wins the tournament, the U.S. Open. Lots of good things that come with that. He'd never won a major tournament before. So there's a lot of pressure on him, Okay. So let's watch the video and I'll tell you some more about him. And now a putt for Eagle. For Dustin Johnson to win the United States Open. Not an easy one. Three putt from Dustin Johnson. 
Okay, so he lost. And the first response by everybody is he choked, right? He choked as an athlete. He failed, which he did in a way. But this sports psychologist brought up some good points. So Dustin Johnson, the, the, the hole that he was playing is a par five, so it's a really long hole, okay? It's 550 yards, something like that. He was sitting there in two shots. He had gotten it onto the green. Most players didn't even come close to getting on the green in two, but he was there in two. So if you look at his statistics for the whole year, he was the number one, uh, second or third in driving the ball, hitting the first shot, and then he was number one in the whole tour of all the best players in hitting his second shot onto the green. So he excelled at that, and so he's only 12 feet away to make this putt to win the whole tournament, right? But at the same time, his statistics show that his putting was some of the worst of the whole tour, okay? So, and furthermore, his short putts, which you saw him miss that second one, which would have gotten him into a tie for the tournament to have a playoff, he missed that as well. He was like almost dead last as far as putting short putts. He's still very good at it, but last compared to everybody else. So he, that was his weak part of his chain. And as soon as the pressure was applied, the pressure of this tournament, he failed. So the issue maybe isn't that he choked as much as the, he hadn't established that part of his game to be good enough to handle the pressure. So to me, in the same way spiritually, I looked at it like, well, that's the same for us. If you're... You might be strong in certain areas of your Christian walk. You might be, you got the healing down or the prosperity down or the walking in love when things aren't going well. All the There's just so many things you need to kind of have in your chain, but we need to work on those weak areas. So the good news for Dustin Johnson is he worked on his putting, actually moved up into the top 10, I think, and he won that same tournament the next year. So to me, it's the same thing for us. We have to work on our weaknesses. And our weaknesses are a result of bad thinking or bad experiences, things that really happened to us. But that doesn't mean it's true. It might still be a lie. So, we wrestle. I like this definition of, a re of wrestle. A contest between, this is what it says in the, if you look up in the lexicon, um, for the Greek word for wrestle, a, a contest between two in which each endeavors to throw the other and which is decided when the victor is able to hold his opponent down with his hand upon his neck. Do we have the devil down by his neck or is he, does he have us at, in some things? The devil applies pressure to our lives, but we know that Jesus destroyed those works. So we have the ability to win, but are we winning in everything that we're that we can. So to me, in the same way that athletes, soldiers, I was never a soldier. I appreciate those of you who were, but, or are, but I think it's the same way. It's that you have to work and you have to repeat. You have to prepare. We have to prepare. I think as Christians, oftentimes, I know I am, we tend to be a little lazy. Oh, just walk in the spirit. I'll, uh, God will lead me, and he will, for sure. But don't we have to prepare? Spend some of those words we read every day actually reading his word and applying it and practicing. So in the area of maybe healing, you know, we want to see people healed of cancer. We want to see people with new arms and limbs. We want to see blind eyes open. It's all possible. God can do it all. But are we prepared? 
Do we practice on colds? Do we practice on the, the, the smaller things? I don't think it's automatic. Jesus said he destroyed the works of the devil. Yes. So then how come it's not destroyed in our lives sometimes? Luke 11.24. This is kind of interesting. Actually, I'll start with just kind of reference. Isaiah 59 talks about how God revealed his arm. I picture his right arm because that's the strong arm of a man typically. He revealed his right arm and that's how salvation came. So you think about him raising Jesus from the dead, that power of God, raising, raising his son from the dead. In Psalm 8.3, it says, it took the fingers of God to roll out the heavens. Right? So he's rolled out the heavens with his fingers. Luke 11.20, it says, but if, but, okay, so Jesus is being confronted. You must be doing this by the devil, these, these things you're doing. And Jesus' response was in Luke 11.20, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. I just took a finger, probably this one. The devil has no power over us, and yet we let him lie to us and believe it. That, that work that Jesus did was the authority that we were given, right? We have authority through his word. That same word that created the universe, that same word that upholds the universe, that same word that raised Jesus from the dead, that same word that can give you healing, can give you everything you need, peace. It's all available, but we have to implement it. We have to practice it. We have to renew our minds. We have to do the work, our own work. Can't do it in ourselves, but we can't be lazy either. I think we all need to just grow up a little. Don't we? And and for those, you know, there's many of us that you're in different stages. Some of us are, you might be a new Christian, got a lot of chains to work on. You might be a growing Christian that's kind of a kind of moved ahead and you're you're maturing. You might be a mature Christian who thinks you have it all together. Another conference tidbit that I kind of picked up applied to the spiritual. Remember the the book Good to Great. Everybody. A lot of people have read it. Good to great. It's a good book. It's not a great book. It's a good book. No. <laughs> anyway, the, the whole premise is, you know, the author, this Jim Collins, he writes about all these great com- companies that have done these great things and accomplished great things, and he kind of, you know, he scores them as great. Of those 11 companies, I think there's only two that are still great. Some are bankrupt. Some are wallowing. So the point I'm just kind of converting it to is Christ, Christian walk. You can be mature, but you got to watch out. You got to watch your your links. Make sure they stay strong. You got to stay up on. You can't stop reading the word. You can't stop practicing the word, no matter what stage you are. Okay, soldier reference. <laughs> 
you know, change is hard, but actually this is maybe more hope that you would look to advance. Not just change is change, but advancing is even better, right? Moving forward. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take away thought, take every thought captive to obey Christ. We have weapons. And that's the word. We have weapons to win and to advance. So we can get rid of these weak links by doing what the world does. Practice, diligence, and then that word will lead to victory. And there's the 1980 Olympic team victory, right? So it's individually, but it's also us in total, right? As a group, as a as the church, to advance, to grow, to help each other. If we're weak in an area, get help from others. If we're strong in areas, help others. And finally, as we fix our chains... Philippians 3 says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it on my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So we all want to head to the prize, right? We want to get to the prize. And I think we will get there, but we need to keep advancing and getting rid of weak chains, links, and then when the pressure comes from the enemy, we can rely on the fact that Jesus already destroyed those works and that we have victory in him. That's it. Any questions? <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you that you've given us everything we need that pertains to life and to godliness. Help us to remember every day that it's you that upholds us. It's you that created everything. That there's no mystery. It's you. And if we walk by faith, we won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. We'll walk in the Spirit. Thank you for your provision, for health, for success in everything we do. Bless this day, this week for us, Lord, and pray that you would give us wisdom in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.